Hey there, and welcome to the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. We're honored you've chosen to join us today. In a few moments, Senior Pastor Alan Miller will launch into this week's teaching. Before that, though, we'd like to encourage you to also check out our website, firstmissionary.net, where you can find out more about what the Lord is doing in our local body and how you can get involved. Now here's Alan with this week's teaching. Well, amen. Uh, just a second, we'll be heading over to the 8th chapter of the book of John, John chapter 8. Look forward to getting over there and hearing the words of Christ this morning as we're going to listen to them fresh and listen to them speak uh, into our lives. Today you're going to hear some words from Jesus that uh, I'm pretty confident that you've heard before. Uh, if you read Scripture, you've studied Scripture, uh, you'll know these, you'll know these words, you'll recognize these words. Even if you are in tune with popular culture, you like movies, you watch movies, listen to uh, the radio, you're going to hear some words of Christ that have even been repeated in culture over and over again. We'll get to that here in just a second. John chapter 8, starting around verse 31. If you're taking notes today, I uh, invite you to grab a pen, grab your paper, and uh, let's get ready to dive in this morning and see what God has to say to us today. Uh, well, if you don't know, today is, is also Super Bowl Sunday. I don't know if your team is playing tonight, if you're uh, going to be rooting for one team or the other. Some of you may not even care. You don't even care if there's a Super Bowl. Uh, some of you, uh, the only reason you watch the Super Bowl is to watch the commercials, right? You, that's your favorite part of the Super Bowl, uh, is to watch the commercials. But it's Super Bowl Sunday. And if you are a football fan, this is the world championship. This is the, the, the height, this is the apex of competition. If you make it to this place in competition, you have reached the level of all levels. And I will remind you that there is a host, a host, many, many other teams that will not be playing tonight. Maybe your team will not be playing tonight. You know, it's been 23 years since my team was even in the NFC Championship game. So I am in a long, long Super Bowl drought myself. But this is a night of where competition comes to a grand, grand place and conclusion. And one team's going to walk away with the ring and with the trophy. You know, I grew up in a competitive family. Anybody else here, you grew up in a competitive family? I mean, there was competitions going on in my family all the time. You know, one of my memories, even right now, is I think about going to my grandparents' house. If I went to my grandparents' house, say, on a Saturday morning, it was not uncommon to see a deck of rook cards or a deck of face 10 cards laying out on the table. In fact, there, were, there was always really close to the dining room table a deck of rook cards or face 10 cards. My grandparents, they loved to play games. They loved to play cards. I think for, I can't tell you how many years, on Friday nights, James and Grace Gilbert would come to my grandparents' house and the guys would take on the girls in rook or a game of face 10. They were always competing. I can remember my, my grandmother. My grandmother would play games with us as kids. 
And even on snowy days, when we would have a snow day, if we were at Mama Sue's house, she would, we, she'd come up with a game. Uh, we played I Spy the Thimble. Any of y'all ever play I Spy the Thimble? Play I Spy the Thimble, a game of trying to find the thimble that she would hide. I mean, she was always playing games with us. I grew up in a very highly competitive family. Everything was a competition. Even fishing. Fishing was a competition. It wasn't just about who caught the most fish, but many times it was about who would catch the first fish. And if it wasn't about who caught the first fish or who caught the most fish, it was about who caught the biggest fish. And I am not going to repeat what my grandfather would tell me I had to do if I didn't catch a fish at all on the way home that day. Highly competitive family. Everything was about making a competition out of what we did. Well, there are teams right now who are not going to be competing tonight. But it's been kind of interesting the last couple of weeks because as we watch these teams that are not competing tonight, they're doing things right now to try to make them better competitors for next season. Uh, they're looking at free agency, who they're going to pick up. Uh, some teams are going to make some serious personnel changes. They're thinking about uh, changing the head coach or the offensive coordinator. You know, these teams are, are really trying to strategize and put themselves in a place so that next season they can compete. And I want you to think about this for a second. They're wanting to put themselves in a place so that next season, next season, next season, they can compete better than they did this past season. What they're essentially trying to do is they're trying to identify the things about their team or their organization that they don't want to bring into the next season. Now for a fan who doesn't have a team playing tonight, I'm looking forward to next season if my team makes the changes they're going, they need to make. I'm looking forward to next season. You see, next season is almost like a do-over. The eternal optimist will say, there's always next what? There's always next... Are y'all catching on? There's always next season. We're at the end of the game. When a team loses, the coach says, okay guys, there's some changes we need to make because we need to start focusing. Forget about this game and get ready for the next game. The next game. The next season. We need to make some changes so that we can be prepared for the next season. We can't bring what was in the past season into the next season because if we do, we cannot expect different results. In a way, you would call those things that you don't need to bring over baggage. We don't need to bring over into the next season 
the baggage that tripped us up in the past season. Today we're talking about baggage. We're talking about burning the ships. We're talking about that in life, there are seasons that come and seasons that go. You're getting ready to go into the next season. And my question for you today is this. Are you going to expect different results in the next season by bringing the same baggage that tripped you up this past season along with you? Well, how would you like, how would you like to get rid of that baggage so that you can go into the next season and expect victory, expect freedom, expect peace in your life? You see, baggage is different than luggage. Luggage is intentional. You go on a trip, you get out your suitcase, you, you pack your luggage. You're intentionally bringing luggage along to take your stuff. But what's tripping so many of us up today is not the luggage, the good stuff we need to take, but it's the baggage. The baggage, the baggage. Just say that word with me, okay? It's the word baggage. Some of us are carrying today baggage. In a way, this is kind of like your ship. It's kind of something that's been a part of your life as you've navigated life's journey. You know, there's an old legend. It's a, it's a tremendous story. It goes all the way back to 1519. If you were paying attention in history class, you might have learned about a guy by the name of Hernan Cortez. 1519, he set sail to Veracruz, Mexico with his crew. Upon their arrival to Veracruz, Veracruz Mexico, his men became weary, they became scared, they were unsure about the new land that they were going to take. Some of those guys wanted to get back on their ship because see, what would happen is they would take their ship to maybe a bay and there would be the new land. The new land is the next season. It's the next game. It's the new land. And they would come to the bay and they would send out a scout or a scout team. And the scout team would go up on the island or the territory, scope it out, and then they would come back and report to the captain of the ship or the other ships and say, hey, this is a good place. We need to stay here. Well, for Cortez, for Cortez, many of his men said, I don't know about this. I'm uncertain. I'm unsure. They were weary. They were, they were scared. So Hernan Cortez came up with a plan to prevent his guys from going back on their ships. Because you see, the ship was the old way. It was that thing that even though it helped them to get where they got there, the ship was also the way to go back. In a sense, their ship was their baggage that would prevent them from embracing the new and walking into the brand new season of life. So Hernan Cortez did 
the unthinkable. He ordered all of His men to burn their ships. So there, excuse me. If someone would find me a glass of water, I would love it. So, Cortez ordered his men to burn their ships so that there would be no way of going back. This is really interesting because this is ancient strategy for winning a battle. Did you know that even the children of Israel employed a very similar strategy when they would defeat and conquer an area that would be claimed for God's glory? They would never, listen to me, they would never completely surround the enemy. They would surround the enemy on three sides, but not four sides. And the reason they would not surround the enemy on four sides was because of this. Thank you, dear heart. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for water girls this morning. Because here's the thing. As long as the enemy had a way out, they would not fight with all they had to fight with. As long as the enemy had a way out, they would not fight with everything they needed to fight with. So their strategy in war was to always leave a way out. But if they ever completely enclosed them, then the enemy would think to themselves, we have nothing, we have no recourse, we have no solution to this other than to fight and to fight and to fight. So they leave them a way out. Essentially, this is what burning the ship means. It means destroying the way out. Your ship, your personal ship, is not the same as everyone else's. And to help you to understand today what we're talking about when it comes to what your ship is. Your ship is the largest negative aspect of your life that consumes you, your thoughts, and your daily being. Although these ships look different in each person's life, we all have them. Spiritually speaking, from a biblical perspective, we could call these flesh patterns. These flesh patterns are things that are in our lives that, that cause us not to live dependent on Christ and His Spirit. Today, you bring with you possibly many ships. You cannot navigate into the next season because of this baggage and this ship in your life. 
For some people, it is a wrong view of self and a wrong view of God. Which probably is going to boil down to a lot of those secondary ships in our lives. Until we see God for who He really is, and we see ourselves for who we really are, it's going to be difficult for many of us to navigate into life with any sense of victory or freedom. For some of you, it may look very specific to, say, an addiction in your life. An addiction that you've had for years. That you can't seem to conquer. You need today to burn the ship. For you, it, it might be just a really poor self-image. Low self-esteem. You just can't seem to, to see value in yourself. For others of us, it might be like an a, a anger issue, an anger problem. Maybe we grew up in a household and, and we saw that you resolved conflict by getting angry and upset or even resorting to physical violence. And the, and the thing about it is, not everybody may know about your ship. Because your ship is a secret place in your life. And, and maybe the people who live with you or spend any amount of time with you, maybe they get insight into the fact that you have this ship. But a lot of people may not know that you have that ship in your life. But you know it. You know it. And it cripples you. It hinders you every day as the definition plays out. Your ship is the largest negative aspect of your life that consumes you. Your thoughts, your daily being. Today you need to burn the ship. And I want to say this to you as well. Until you completely enclose and burn the ship, as long as you leave a way out, you will continue to carry this baggage in your life. You've got, you got to get serious about burning the ship. And you can't play games with it anymore. There's a guy that I got to know this past week, not personally, because I just googled the term, burn the ship. And I came to learn about a guy by the name of Jake Johnson who actually started a ministry called Burn the Ship. Jake is a, a recovering, I'm not going to say addict. I'm not going to use that term. He's recovering from an addiction. Because folks, let's, let me say this to you. If you think you're an addict, you will act like an addict. If you think you're a loser, you will act like a loser. If you think you have no hope, you will live hopelessly. You will never, ever, ever live above how you view or see yourself. That's why knowing your identity in Christ is so huge and so important. So Jake Johnson came to know the Lord. 
He gave his addiction over to Jesus. He is recovering from the addiction. He's not an addict, but he is a child of God, a saint who struggles with addiction. I think you need to hear his story. I think you need to hear his testimony. It's really powerful. It's really neat. Let me introduce you to uh, a guy by the name of Jake Johnson. Everyone's got their own thing. You know, bad habits and addictions that, that we just kind of go about everyday life with this burden, this chip on our shoulder. My addiction, my burden, my ship, five, six years of, of heavy, heavy drinking and it's over. Burn the ship is a way of saying completely remove that part of your life. Get it out. It's not just hard on the person drinking, it's hard on the person with you. He kind of realized certain things in his life weren't what they needed to be and what he wanted to continue. And you want to be your best version of yourself. And in order to do that, you have to get rid of the crap that's in your life that's not making you better. This is it. You know, I, I got one shot here. I'm, I'm on a path to destruction. Jake's dad passed away back at the end of March. Jake's always really looked up to him and aspired to be like him. And so his passing was just, it shook everyone and it shook him. The toughest thing I've had to deal with is, is losing him. You know, he would tell you he had a hundred ships, but ultimately he didn't. You start thinking about life and, and the direction you're headed and how you've lived. And He had heard of this legend of Hernan Cortez burning his ships. He and his men discovered Veracruz, Mexico. When they got there, his men were ready to head back. He ordered them to, to burn their ships. There was no going back. That's how it has to be. You know, the idea was a God-given idea. It's not, not something I, this is completely out of my league, to be honest. Being a farmer is, is what I do. I farm almonds in, in the Central Valley of California. And coming home and working on Burn the Ship with my wife, I, it's so easy to run with. It's empowering me and my wife, it's our family, and I want it to empower other people. I think the message itself can go to anyone. In order to remove a habit, it's all gas, no brakes. It has to be 100%, you're, you're done. When you burn that ship, you will experience life as it was intended for you to experience. Really embrace this earth. I've never been happier. I, I, I can say that from the bottom of my heart. The way it is now is I live for this moment, 30 seconds from now, a minute from now, live for today. Burn the ship is for myself and for God. I just want people to experience it. So here's where we start. It's by being perfectly honest with yourself and saying today, my ship is blank. What is your ship? Addiction? Poor self-esteem image? Anger issues? 
pride. You know, for some people, and you're going to find this surprising, but for some people, their ship is their religious pride. A need to be right. A need to be right, as opposed to a heart that just seeks truth. I could tell you what my ships are, but that doesn't help you. The question is, what is yours? A negative attitude. A controlling spirit. What is the shackle? What is the ship? So how? How do we burn the ship? In John chapter 8, I think Jesus gives us a tremendous clue. I want to set this in regards to context. In John chapter 8, Jesus is speaking to a particular group of Jewish people. They were struggling with knowing two things. They were struggling with trying to know or rather not understanding who Jesus is. They did not get who Jesus is. They didn't understand who Jesus is. And they struggled with their ideas about Christ. The other thing that they struggled with is they struggled with not knowing who they were. So it wasn't just they didn't know who Jesus is, but they did not know who they were. And because of that, there's great conflict in their lives. And Jesus gets a moment to speak into their lives. And in verse 31, we see this story unfold. And John writes, and John says, Jesus therefore was saying to those Jews who had believed Him, if you abide in My Word, then you are truly disciples of Mine. And you ask the question, what is the Word of Jesus? And to try to simplify this and narrow this down, the Word of Jesus is simply the truth. It's the truth. The Word of Jesus is the truth. Not just an intellectual proposition or a theological idea or a particular belief system. But just simply stripped down, the Word of Christ is the truth. And the truth is reality that leads to His heart and the heart of God. So one of the first clues here that Jesus has given us is to truly be my disciple is to be someone that is after my heart. And you will come to know my heart. And you'll come to know truth. You'll come to know reality as you pursue me. Abide in my word. My word is that which emanates from who I am. That's the sign of a true disciple. Someone who is after Jesus. 
And then he says this. And, and this is what many of you have heard before. You've heard it in movies. You've heard it in popular songs. Jesus says, and you shall know the what? And you will know the truth. And then the truth will do what? The truth will make you free. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus is not just talking about a, a, a generic truth in regards to anything? I mean, I could know the truth about, gosh, how something is made, or how an engine works, or an electrical circuit, or I could know how something is properly put together, or the truth about that, but that's not what we're looking for here. We're looking for a truth that pertains to who Jesus is. And when you know that truth, that's the truth that will make you what? That's the truth that will make you what? That's the truth that will make you free. It will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's offspring. Father Abraham is our father. And they say, and have never yet been enslaved to anyone. Never been enslaved to anyone. And you know, you would want to interject here and go, okay, so what about those 400 years in Egypt? Are you forgetting where you've been? Oh no, we've never been enslaved to anyone. We are sons. We are children of Abraham. We are Abraham's offspring. We've never been enslaved to anyone. And, and the thing that we see here is that they had religious ideas and religious connections to God and religious beliefs and religious ideas. But yet Jesus looks upon their life and he says, you know what? You're even enslaved to those things. I mean, being enslaved to an addiction, being enslaved to uh, an anger issue, but what about being enslaved to religious ideas that are not true? How is it that you say you shall become free? And Jesus answered them and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. And notice here, notice here, Jesus did not say, whoever commits sin is the slave of sinning. This is a noun. He says, who commits sin is the slave of sin, which is a power or a force. What causes someone to sin to commit acts of sin is the fact that if they do not know Christ, then they are living under the power of sin. To live under the power of sin is to live with sin as your master. Jesus is talking about a spiritual enslavement. And many of us today, our bondage is due to a spiritual enslavement. Enslavement. 
And maybe we've come to know Christ. Maybe we've accepted Him. But there's still areas of our lives that we've brought over into our relationship with Christ. And these flesh patterns and these flesh habits, these are our ships that continue to be baggage about our lives. And we need to burn them. And be done with them. Jesus says, who commits sin is the slave of sin as a power. And so he's now bringing everyone into this who does not know him. And then he says in verse 34. After he says, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. He says, and the slave does not remain in the house forever. The Son does remain forever. And you're thinking, what in the world is Jesus saying here? And this is what He's going back to. He's going back to an ancient world where people understood slavery as a way of life. And there was two people who lived in the house. Of course, the father, the family, the head of the house, whatever. The children, the son... And the son was the one who would get the father's inheritance, everything the father had. The house was the son's house because he was son of the father. But then there was the slave. And the slave didn't get everything that the father had. And the slave didn't stay there all the time, but the slave had quarters outside the house where the slave would go. And if you really want to have everything that the father has, you won't get it by being a slave. But you'll get it by being a son. And in this case, you get it by knowing the son. By having a relationship with the son. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The, the son does. The son remains in the house forever. And then he says this in verse 36. I love this. If. Would y'all say that word with me, if? Just say the word, if. If. So if. One more time. So if. So if. So if. If the Son makes you free, you will be free indeed. The key to burning the ship in your life or my life is seeing the truth of who Jesus is and who I am in regards to that. And once that truth is applied in the Son, I can find freedom. There's many lies that are attached to your ship. Can we talk about it for just a second? Some lies that you believe about your ship is you can't function in life without it. You have to have it. You can't deal with stress. You can't deal with uh, challenges. you got to have that ship. That's a lie. That's a lie. There's other things that are attached to it as well. Oh, here's one. Oh, this is one that's a bailout. You talking about leaving the back door open when it comes to your ship? Well, this is just who I am. 
And many times people, when they think that, what do they follow that up with? This is just who I am and therefore there is no what? There is no, there's no changing. That's a lie. By the way, if you think that your ship cannot be burned today and you believe it's going to be with you forever and ever and ever, then guess what? You will take it with you forever and ever and ever. When the truth of who you are in Christ and the truth of who Christ is, this is what he's talking about. When that truth resonates in your heart and mind in regards to the ship, that's when you can see that ship once and for all burned in your life. But you got to get serious about it. As Jake Johnson said, he says it's full force, it's wide open, it's pedal to the metal. Here's another scripture that I think is really important to this. If you are in Christ, you already have everything you need. In fact, if you are in Christ, this is Galatians chapter 5. If you are in Christ, you're already free. You just may not know it. Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 5 verse 1. Listen to the language of this text. Again, he's writing to people who need to be free from the law. They had been hearing a message that you must be circumcised and hold to the law in order to be made right with God. And Paul writes the book of Galatians to tell them that no, Jesus is enough. Faith in Jesus is enough. The regenerating, saving power and work of Jesus is enough. You maintain and hold dear to Jesus. Jesus, who by the way is the truth. He's the one. He's the one. Nothing else. He says it was for freedom that Christ did what? Set us free. That's past tense. Means that if you're in Christ, you're already free. But you may not be experiencing the freedom that you have. Y'all still with me, by the way? You are free, but you might not be experiencing the freedom that you have. It was for freedom, the experience of being free, that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You've heard me use this illustration over the years. I want you to imagine with me for just a second a bird in the cage. A bird in the cage. When is the bird free? When the door is open or when the bird flies out? Imagine with me a bird in a cage. Y'all got it? Kids, if you're taking notes, draw a picture of a bird in a cage, okay, with the door open. Okay, so you got a bird in a cage. When is the bird free? When the door is open or when the bird flies out? The bird is free when the door is open. But the bird does not experience its freedom until it flies out of the cage. Your addiction, your ship, your challenge is a lie that the enemy has over your life. You're living as if you're not free. But you are free if you're in Christ. But you may not be experiencing the freedom that Christ has given to you. The bird's not free until... The door is open, but once the door, the bird flies out, that's when the bird experiences his or her freedom. 
Jesus doesn't just want you to be free. He wants you to experience your freedom. Here's another clue in this battle. This was huge for me a couple of weeks ago because I had to really get on my face and, and pray and, and just cry out to the Lord and some things that were on my heart. And I had a dear friend that reminded me of Ephesians 6. This was huge for me. Because you see, sometimes our ships, we think our ships and these battles are with other people. What somebody else is bringing into our life. And, and let's be honest, some people can be a pain in the royal neck in our lives. Ephesians chapter 6 really hit home with me because it made me aware of the true nature of the battle. Paul wrote in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 12, for our struggle, listen to this, please, is not against flesh and blood. In other words, this is Paul's way of saying, your problem is not with people. And by the way, if you're a person, your problem is not even with you. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Your battle at its core, at its root, is of a spiritual nature. At its core, this is a spiritual battle that you're dealing with. I saw this picture that reminds me of where a lot of us are today. It's a picture of an elephant. Uh, I'm not saying I think you're an elephant, or that I am. I'm just saying, here's a picture of an elephant. The elephant is tied to a stake. The average weight of an Asian elephant is 12,000 pounds. How many tons is that? About three tons, right? Yeah, because there's 2,000 pounds in a ton. So, six. Yeah, that's what I said, right? Okay, well anyway... <laughs> The average size of an Asian elephant is about 12,000 pounds. And look at this thing. Have you ever been to a circus? Maybe not today because, you know, things have changed with circuses today and how they treat animals. But years ago, you could go to a circus and you would see an elephant with a measly little rope or chain tied to a stake. How did this happen? You think somebody, one day somebody said, oh, let's take this 12,000, however many tons you said, this 12,000 pound animal and tie it to a stake with this little bitty rope and that elephant is not going to get free. It doesn't start there. They're trained from birth. When they are small, when they're babies, they put ropes around their feet and chain them. And at that point in time, when they're babies, they can't pull the stake free. But over the course of time, they become conditioned and trained to, listen to me, to believe they're not free. And they live their lives as if they're chained to a stake and have no freedom. Why? Because they are, listen to me, they are conditioned over time. Over time, you have, I have believed lies about who we are and who God is. And over time, we have been conditioned to think that we will never be able to burn our ship or to live free from the things that are crippling us and challenging us in our lives. Won't you love for someone to whisper into the ear of the elephant, Yo, bro! This chain... This stake, 
has no power over you. You just think it does. And you say, well, what is the power? What is the strength? What is the clue? What is the, the key? The key is this. And Paul said, it. he said, the glory of the gospel is this. It is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus Christ lives in you and therefore you have the power to overcome. You have the power to be free because Christ gives you His power. You are not powerless. You have in Christ what you need. It is a spiritual battle you're facing today. One of my favorite songs, and we're going to wrap up and just say one of my favorite songs today is a song by the, the, the group for King and Country. This has been burning in my heart for about a month. The title of the song is Burn the Ships. And there's this line in the song, actually in the video. It says, in the days of old, there lived a man who was alone. A ship of secrets and lies was his home. It starts by saying, how do we get here? All cast away on a lonely shore. I can see in your eyes, dear, it's hard to take for a moment more. We've got to burn the ships, cut the ties, send a flare into the night. Say a prayer, turn the tide, dry your tears, and wave goodbye. Step into a new day. We can rise up from the dust and walk away. We can dance upon our heartache. So light a match, leave the past, burn the ships, and don't you, don't you, don't you, don't you look back. Don't let it arrest you. This fear is fear of falling again. If you need a refuge, I will be right here until the end. Burn the ships, cut the ties, send a flare into the night, say a prayer, turn the tide, tide, dry your tears and wave goodbye. Step into a new day. So long to shame. Walk through the sorrow, out of the fire, into tomorrow. So flush the pills, face the fear, feel the wave disappear. We're coming clear. We're born again. Our hopeful lungs can breathe again. Oh, we can breathe again. Don't you? Again. Step into a new day. Don't look back. Don't you. Don't you look back. Don't look back. Many of you today, you've got to burn the ship. And Christ gives you the power to burn the ship. Thanks for joining us on the First Missionary Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. That's it for this week's teaching, but you can always find more on our website, firstmissionary.net. We'd also like to encourage you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram and Twitter, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you benefited from this week's lesson, be sure to share it with your friends and family, then leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Thanks again for listening, and God bless.